Alright, Mitch. Let's continue the conversation. I'm mm. I'm nervous because I know <laughs> for a fact mm. that tonight I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be like, damn why didn't I ask him this question? Yeah. Damn why didn't I ask him that question? <laughs> yeah. So I'm just gonna uh, I'm glancing at the notes that I took from the text that you sent me. Um, and I read the, the short version, which I think was the dumbed down, uh, down version. So, th so th thank you for <laughs> dumbing it down for me because um, it really pushed me. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you a few questions that I've already asked you yeah. um, over beer, but just for the sake of getting it started. Um, without, without, you know, uh, you know, feeling like you have to go into too, um, mm -hmm. too many specifics. Tell me what got you in, what, what got you, uh, got you in, um, in the first place interested in philosophy. And um, let's start with that. Okay. Um, I think when I've been asked this question before, like I said to you, when we we're having a beer, it's kind of like, um, why do birds fly? Um, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out answer, I think, sometimes. But... I don't know if I can really pinpoint an exact moment where I thought this is what I want to do and this is exactly how I want to live my life. I think it was always something that I was predisposed towards. I always liked sort of reading poetry or kind of complex ideas, I guess you could say, when I was a bit younger and growing up in school. Um, I really enjoyed English and study of religion. My school didn't offer philosophy when I was growing up. Um, so those were the closest subjects to it, I guess you could say. And I always did very well at those subjects. I was always really interested in those subjects. So I guess there was a bit of a philosophical underpinning towards that. But now that I actually think about it, if I was to say that there was, if I could pinpoint one moment, um, like I said to you, it's something I've always been into, um, but I never really considered it as a career per se, I kind of always thought it was just something that happened 300 years ago and we still talk about it because it's interesting at like 10 o'clock at night when we've all had a couple of drinks or something like this, you know. Um, but I remember my second year here at university and I had a lecturer um, who is one of my supervisors now. Um, and he just really captivated me, the way that he spoke, the kind of topics he talked about and how confident he was when he was talking about it, and I go, wow, this guy is an actual philosopher in real life. And I was like, that's really cool. That is something that I would like to do. That's something I admire. And from there, I guess you could say, I kind of went down that trajectory. Um, I guess, if, yeah, I mean, those are a couple of things um, that really got me into it. Um, Great. But I wouldn't be able to say that there was something when I was really young, and I was like, mm -hmm. it was a real turning point in my mm -hmm. life where I said, no, that's it. Um, I'm going to be a philosopher, so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if anyone has that either, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah. It's a luxury to end up doing something that you're into. Yeah, yeah. For life. Yeah. Great. Um, before you started mm -hmm. doing this, mm -hmm. and by this I mean the particular topic that you're working on, yeah. was it clear to you that this is what you were going to end up doing at university? Did you, did you know... That what you were going to target was going to be within this particular realm, which we're going to get into in more detail. You mean philosophy itself or the things the, that I study topic, within philosophy? Um, <clears throat> no. Um, I would say it was adjacent, some of the interests I had. 
Um, I was always interested, I guess you could say, in the self and subjectivity. Um, and even if it wasn't really obvious to me when I was younger and kind of coming through my undergraduate degree, it was probably nascent in the sense that I don't know if someone can grow up in Australia in the modern day and not be aware of a connection to place and how we understand our connection to land. Um, so if it wasn't really super obvious to me when I was growing up, this idea of place and connection to land was something that I think I grew up within and around and it was something that was talked about within Australian discourse generally, even if it wasn't something that I was super aware of. Um, do, you think, do you think having grown up in a Western society, yeah. which has a, an almost sacred emphasis yeah. on the notion of objectivity or objective truth, yeah. had, something, had something to do with your becoming interested in subjectivity or was it a Heidegger book that you read when you were 18 that got, um, <laughs> got you interested in subjectivity? Or um, um, If I read Heidegger at 18 and understood it, I'd be very impressed with myself, <laughs> to be completely well, honest with you. It might have planted the seed, is, yeah. is what I'm trying um, to No, I think I was always predisposed to Buddhist ideas. Like I said to you, when I was in school, the closest topic that I had access to, to philosophy was SOR, or a study of religion. And within that, we studied world religions, and one of those major world religions was Buddhism. Buddhism always really attracted me. Um, I don't know what it was. There was ideas and I just sort of gravitated towards. Um, I suppose also that my family has, through work and other associations, a connection with Japan, such that I've spent a bit of time in Japan. Um, and delved into that culture a little bit from being there and got used to the way that life worked there, which is infused with Buddhist ideas um, to a lesser or a greater extent where you are and nowadays and so on and so forth. There's a lot of complexities, but Buddhism is a part of Japanese history. It's a part of what Japanese culture is now. Um, insofar, I had a connection to that, studied it through SOR. They were sort of, I guess, where I sort of started to come to philosophy, was interested in it. And Buddhism is not a big fan of, I guess you could say, essential substances or looking at the world in a dualistic manner where there is a rift driven between the subject that looks at the world and the things that look at it. Um, and in that sense, I guess I came to the kind of philosophy I do now as opposed to Western philosophy, which, like you said, has... Not wholesale, but by and large, tried to look at the world as through this subject-object dualism. Um, I think you could say those influences have influenced the kind of philosophy that I do now insofar as I'm, I would say, largely critical of the way that Western philosophy has typically structured the world in terms of subject Very much dualism. came across mm. in, your, um, mm. in your transcript mm. um, very strongly. Mm. So let's go back to place. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you break it apart a little bit? for me. Mm -hmm. When I went through the text, mm. I came across the notion of place mm. and, it's, and, it's, and the way you related it to femininity mm -hmm. in opposition to masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, I, struggled mm -hmm. to, I struggled to fully di um, digest it. I, I, I kind of understood what, what you were getting yeah, at, yeah, yeah. but and um, in, in, in Ancient mythology, mm -hmm. there, there are no shortages of um, 
hints at attributing femininity to nature. Yeah. So I can yeah. see that. So I can see that connection yeah. there. But can you tell me a little bit about how you're utilizing it in your work and whether or not it is an essential part of your work? If not, we can move on from it. Place? Yes. Um, I'm just going to confirm. This is the, the shorter one. There's the one that you've read. Yeah, okay. When I, this was shorter one, just to give a bit of context, I mm -hmm. think. This shorter one I wrote maybe five or six months before this longer one. Mm -hmm. um, Place was only just starting to come into my thinking when I was writing this mm -hmm. smaller one. Um, what shines through, I think, in this shorter piece is this idea of home and homelessness mm -hmm. that's associated with place. Um, so that's what I was trying to draw out within this one. Well, you're right. I mean, it, the thought around place becomes more developed as I go on okay. and it gets a bit longer in here and I talk about more aspects of the place like mm -hmm. it's just home in here and kind of an aspect of femininity in here which I would say it's important to distinguish like you're saying within mythology and typically and historically there is an association of the feminine with nature and ideas associated with nature so body um, passions things like this mm -hmm. um, part of my work or a large aspect of my work is sort of to disagree with that association because that association has been forced onto our understanding of the feminine by the masculine okay. to support the masculine superiority in the way that culture is organized around the phallic. Is that, yep. Yeah. And so this idea of place, when we have, we're talking in these pure, in these terms where feminine is cast as nature, body, mm -hmm. so on and so forth, which then in reflection validates the masculine as mind, um, culture and things like this. Very good. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've no, no, got no. lost here. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to take that yeah. and link it to something else that just came to my mind yeah. as you mentioned um, as you mentioned the the imposition yeah. of that of the attribution of place yeah. to femininity yeah. by the yeah. masculine yeah. mind. The what 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 the, the first thing that jumped at me as mm. I went through that text mm. was Irigaray's mm. suggesting mm. that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is a big issue mm. and it's got to do with the way we have conceptualized ourselves mm -hmm. as human beings. Yeah. Now, mm. this is probably my being lazy, which, mm. is, which is why I didn't go through the, the, the longer text. And to be honest with you, it was, a, it was, it was not laziness, it was intimidation that, I, mm. that, that prevented me from going through mm. the, the, the main text yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, yeah. it's, it's, it's taking so much out <laughs> of me to just go through these six pages. Yeah. Um, what is that problem? Can you, can you give me a paragraph uh, in describing what that problem is that Irigaray is supposed to, is supposed to uh, uh, sorry, is trying to resolve or come up with a resolution for? I guess you could say the problem is that the way that we've thought of identity and subjectivity has always stunted the way that we would grow and experience flourishing as human beings, okay? So when I was talking before about this divide between the masculine and the feminine, 
the feminine gets associated with nature, body, so on and so forth. The masculine gets associated with culture, mind, and so on and so forth. Within Western culture, typically, those latter categories, and thus the masculine, have been valued over the feminine, right? Except that is kind of a fabrication or an abstraction, right? Such that that is only there to support the power structures that be, that are typically associated with the masculine. But both the feminine and the masculine have aspects of both nature and culture, mind and body associated with them. The way that we've typically thought of identity in these dualistic terms, right? Because Arigra thinks that the way that we've always structured subjectivity and identity has always been human being. It's neutral, right? So it's non-gendered, it doesn't have a sex or anything like this, right? She thinks that's kind of a lie and she thinks the masculine feigns itself to be the neutral such that the feminine gets reflected from the masculine, except that reflection and that lesser than. So the feminine, that reflection gets understood as less than masculine, not masculine, right? So um, the feminine gets understood as lacking a penis right. rather than not, or the mas masculine gets understood, rather than, sorry, the feminine gets understood as lacking a penis rather than the masculine gets understood as lacking a vagina or it, something like this, right? It, so basically it's, you're saying it dilutes femininity in relation to It marriage. doesn't dilute, well I mean it's, in a sense it does, but mm -hmm. it devalues and silences the feminine because what gets valued is the masculine and the attributes that are deemed as powerful within our culture get reflected from the feminine because the feminine is cast as what is not masculine and what is not masculine is deemed as invaluable such that what then is masculine gets valued and supported by casting what is invaluable onto the feminine. Right. And by, by deriving from what you just went through, yeah. I see why Irigaray sees it appropriate to attribute narcissism to mm. the philosophy that has yeah. structured the West. Yeah. <clears throat> so that that, that um, answers another one of my questions. However, right there, when Irigaray points out the narcissism yeah. in Western philosophy, she says something that I literally could not understand for a few days, and then <laughs> I and then I arrived at yeah. then I then I kind of convinced myself to make peace with a temporary understanding until I get it confirmed by you. Yeah, there is a sentence where I think you're quoting her, which says, "The state in which things should be such that they can be said not to be." <laughs> what page is this on? Where's the context? Um, I think it's the I think it's the third. Third page, page, but I can read you the entire sentence. So it says, moreover, it's, um, it continues from, so whatever its proper boundaries, if indeed here are any, uh, sorry, if indeed there are any, we can say that philosophy, mm -hmm. masculine philosophy, has always spoken to crisis, mm -hmm. to a state in which things are not as they should be. Mm -hmm. Moreover, it has done so without really knowing forgotten maybe, mm -hmm. the state in which things should be such that they can be said not to be. And this follows from another criticism that she has towards Western philosophy and she describes Western philosophy as the philosophy of crisis in that 
philosophy has always has been chasing one crisis mm. after another. Yeah, well, I mean, I would say I draw a distinction here, and I say Arigarai isn't really talking about crisis in the sense that it's coming through in this paper. I mean, this is more me um, talking about crisis and okay. using Arigarai to understand crisis. Uh -huh. Like I said, there's been a development, I would say, in my thought and maturation in my thoughts since writing this, such okay. that I don't think that there isn't this sense of crisis. I don't think I understood it enough when I was writing this. Okay. I think what I was trying to say in this paper when I'm talking about crisis is that, because it kind of comes across paradoxical, right, where I'm saying that there is constantly crisis, and then now, but now the current crisis should be understood. So, there is constantly crisis, then it's not really a crisis, right? Because it's the normal state. It's, it's the normal state. It's the exactly. normal state. Yeah. yeah, but now we're in crisis now. So it's kind of paradoxical yeah. to understand, right? Yeah. Part of the claim I think that I was trying to make is that the crisis that we're in now is a sort of self-recognition that philosophy is always in crisis, mm -hmm. that it's always responding to a problem with its own thought, okay? And it needs to reinvent itself, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to succumb or to overcome that crisis, mm -hmm. okay? Um, um, I think it's from that line of thinking mm. that the displacement mm. gets, gets attributed yeah. Yeah. to the product of philosophy. Yes, because part of, mm. I would say like part of being home, and this is something also that I've started, I mean, this is different and it comes into, but like place is associated with home and to understand what place is, is to a very important aspect of that is to have a feeling of homeliness to place. Um, and unhomeliness is associated with displacement, okay? Um, so this idea of displacement discomfort is associated with the idea that philosophy is constantly in crisis and it's never in against satisfied with where it is and where it's thought. It's constantly having to reinvent itself and criticize itself, which is difficult to say because that's what philosophy should do, right? It should be able to say, we shouldn't really ever be settled. It should be able to say, look, we constantly want to be improving, right? So this is what I mean. This idea of crisis become complicated in my head because I see both sides of the story here. I'm not exactly sure where I want to land. I don't think it's wrong, I would say. I don't think this notion of crisis is something that I've read into Western philosophy currently because there's other people mm -hmm. who talk about it. David Duvedi, Shaj Mahan, Jean-Luc Nancy... Um, I think Rigori talks about it as well, but nowhere near to the extent that I've sort of talked about it here. So it's not wrong per se mm -hmm. to say that there's a sense of crisis. The reason I'm starting to move away from, or not move away from it, maybe to leave it, is because I don't think I have as yet a good enough understanding of exactly what it is that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. For the reasons I just said to you, it's kind of paradoxical there, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. you've got those two senses in which philosophy is always in crisis, so therefore it's not in crisis. But it is in crisis. So then how do you understand this dialectic? Because mm -hmm. um, you could argue um, in the absence of crisis, um, mm. there would be no need for um, rigorous thinking, which mm. is analogous to, to yeah. philosophy. So where I want to go from here is, um, is, the, is the hierarchical aspect mm -hmm. of Western, Western morality, mm -hmm. Western philosophy, mm -hmm. and um, tell me if I'm wrong, mm. but this was one of the biggest takes that I had from reading your text, mm. which you are critical mm. towards the notion that values should be structured hierarchically yeah. in that some should mm. 
supersede others, or mm. some should take priority mm -hmm. um, yeah. over others. Can you can you um, explain a little bit? Well, I kind of think it's difficult to really rationally justify having a ground for any value, right? In the sense that saying that this value is natural and therefore should be valued by all, and this is the way that we should structure our value systems or our society, you can say that, but rationally, to justify that, you can't do it, right? There's always going to be a leap because it's kind of an epistemological problem in one sense and like a metaphysical problem in another sense. Like, how can you really get to the crux of the world when rationality can't get there and then say that there's a value judgment there that we can say, this is how we should structure our society, right? Mm -hmm. So, it's kind of like saying what the absolute is or something like this, right? So, the good is typically something that Plato would talk about and so on and so forth, or the absolute God is in another term for it. When you get to real in-depth understandings of God and the absolute and the good, I think, there is a sort of humility that comes along with it, such that we say, look, we think it's there, but we can't really say anything definite about it, right? It's a, it's a feeling we have that can't be rendered in language, it can't be rendered rationally. Cool? So therefore, if it can't be rendered rationally in language and so forth, it's not disposed to be able to be communally disseminated. It's not something that we can build a base or a ground off. Okay? So if you have a value or a, a hierarchy of values, right, you have to have some sort of a measurement upon which you structure that hierarchy, yeah? Mm. Without that grounding upon which to build the measurement, I'm not sure how you start to build that hierarchy. You can do it, but at the end of the day, there's no rational justification for it other than sort of a contingency, or this is how I would like it to be. This is how it suits me. This is how the power structures work. This is practical. Which is, there's something to be said about it, and yet the way that it's typically been structured has led to oppression of minority groups which I think is something we should work to alleviate okay. and something to work to figure out. Okay. Mm. Um, you, you have an emphasis mm. on uh, the necessity for rational justification yeah. of any sort of hierarchically structuring yeah. values. Yeah. Is that, is that something that you're committed to? Do, do, um, do you think for... Do, do you think for for regarding something as divine, mm. or transcendent, mm. or uh, irrefutable, mm. do you think it needs a rational justification? <laughs> no, I think precisely the opposite, right? Like, I think those kind of ideas, those really deep ideas, are antithetical to, to rational understanding, which is why I'm saying that if you want to then build a value hierarchy off it, it's kind of difficult if you want to justify it to appeal to these rational grounds. Yes, but, it, but is that a criticism? Is that a well, criticism I mean it, to the endeavor to set up our value hierarchy that way? Well, I mean, it's not in a sense a criticism, but it just sort of takes the ground out from underneath their feet to say that just because it has been this way doesn't need, it need to be all, doesn't mean it needs to always be this way. Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, it's practical to be able to do things like this, right? To be able to say, look, this thing is probably better for us that we should, for we should value this thing and over this thing, right? I understand that in a sense, but the way that we've typically done it has always led to oppression of minority groups that weren't in the power to set up the hierarchy to start with, right? So the group who has set up the hierarchy has benefited from it. Yeah, always, right? That's, that's always been the case. 
And that goes part and parcel with the hierarchies, with the value hierarchies. Because if there is no reasonable, rational way that you can definitively ground the value of these hierarchies in the order in which they're presented, then they're always going to be constructed by someone, right? They're always going to be fabricated, abstracted, for whatever purposes, but they're always going to have an element of arbitrariness to them. They could always be otherwise. And when you kind of structure them, at least hitherto, it's always been in service of a particular group or majority. Right. Do you attribute motive to that? Do you think motive has had something to do with structuring? I mean, yeah, it's hard, like, it's hard to talk about like that. In the, do you mean like there's some sort of a pernicious or a malicious like group at the top who's just going, okay, we'll, like we'll structure our hierarchies yeah, like, like this smoky, so it's going to serve us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, not in that sense. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's like that. Um, this is something that I think about as well, um, and I have diffi not difficulty, but it does seem to get maybe a little bit elusive. It's uh, because you sort of want to say, okay, so if these structures have been set up in the way that they have, they must have been set up sort of at some point. So someone's got to have done it in the sense, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think. Well, I can give you. Mm. I, uh, I can give you a quick mm. uh, summary of what I think happened, yeah. the way I see it, mm. we lived our lives yeah. in a certain way for millennia, mm. and at some point, mm. we simply woke up and realized that this is how we have been living our lives. And at that point, we for formalized it. And the way we formalized it is by putting it in books. And don't, don't ask me, are you saying there's no God? Because I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but um, the way... The way I see the formation of whatever this structure yeah. is we're talking about, mm -hmm. the way I see it, I see it in evolutionary terms. Mm. Do you see it that way? Do you think it was a product of thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human beings living and then at some point representing how they have been living through images, text? And books. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably an opportunity, like a, a way of explaining it. But I also kind of think that's a bit optimistic in the sense that people always have just wanted to grab power. So they're going to set it up in whatever way that can support them being in power. Mm -hmm. I think there, you might be right. There might be something to say, okay, this is always just how we've lived. You know, I don't, but I don't really know what that means to say in the sense that... Mm -hmm. Are you saying everyone in the world, all these dispersed human cultures, or just specifically the Western culture, mm. even way back, I don't know how long you want to go back, mm -hmm. lived in a certain way, and then we just decided, okay, now that we can talk about these things and write these things down, let's just do everything the way that we have. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem to me to be the case where everything has sort of progressed and there has, insofar as it has been a historical progression mm -hmm. and a technological progression that things would just be kept the same, mm -hmm. I think there's always going to be motives and motives at play. Whether those motives are as simple as power, mm -hmm. some would say that they are. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case. Maybe a bit more complex than that in the sense that there may be an element to what you're saying that is right, that when they did get set up, it was just easier to keep it going rather than there being an intentional hand at play. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's probably part and parcel of the two in the sense that 
power structures were set up to suit the people in power and then they sort of became so large that they just kind of kept themselves going and they kind of just got a, what's the word for it? I, it starts with I. Um, you're in a car and you go around a circle. I. So um, inertia. They had an inertia. inertia. Yeah, they course, had an inertia. Course, course. And they just sort of kept going. But they need not, mm -hmm. once you kind of realize that they were set up without a rational grounding, mm -hmm. in the sense that this is how it actually is and how we should be, you know, then they can always be otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a responsibility if there has been arguably, and a lot of people will say that there has been, a large majority of people will say that there has been, that a large amount of oppression has been predicated on the power structures that have been set up, which have been predicated on the type of value, hierarchy, value hierarchies that have been set up, which in themselves are arbitrary, and therefore if we can change them to alleviate this oppression, then we have a responsibility to do so. Right. Uh, okay, how about this? <clears throat> The, 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 the system of values that we have been living mm. in accord with mm. for millennia yeah. that has given rise to this, to the West, yeah. to yeah. all the majesty yeah. that we have the luxury of experiencing today. Do you think, that, do you think if, if, if they were totally arbitrary if mm. they were divorced from our, na yeah. our natural yeah. circumstances, yeah. from our biological circumstances, yeah. do you think they would have lasted? No, you're right. I, when I say arbitrary in the sense, I don't mean like we can just pick it willy-nilly and just go, let's mm. do this one for a while, let's do this one for a while. No, I don't, I don't mean it arbitrary in that sense. What I mean by arbitrary, I guess, is that they could have been otherwise, right? Okay. Okay. So there is a grounding for why they have been. You're right. Okay. Like, I'm not saying we've just just decided let's do this one for a while right. and just have fun not have fun with it but let's just stick with this one let's see what happens and see what happens yeah. it hasn't been like a trial and error like okay. that that's okay. not what i'm saying okay. i'm saying there has been a reason for that like it may be like you were saying evolution it may be survival it may be any of these sort of ideas right but it need not be that way in the sense right. that these hierarchies have been constructed so they can always be constructed in other ways that are more ethically structured, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're more open to otherness. They're more open to ethically treating minorities and not serving the interests of the majority that mm -hmm. are always in power. Mm -hmm. It can always be otherwise. And I think there is a responsibility to work towards that. Okay. Mm. Okay. Very good. Um, I, I wanted to focus a little bit on the planting of the seeds mm. in your text. You move on from planting um, of the seeds mm. and uh, on t uh, into your proposal as mm. to what we should do, <laughs> which in simple terms, you just, you, you just, you just put it that um, we, ha we have an, uh, a responsibility, mm. an obligation to, to look back and watch mm. and, and, and pay attention to who we have marginalized. Yeah and how we have managed it mm. and do something about it. Yeah. Now, I think what you're suggesting, and um, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to put 
words in your mouth. Yeah. But I think what you're suggesting, in a, in as an amendment, if you yeah. would, to yeah. to the to the hierarchical structuring of the values, yeah. is a, a horizontal structuring of values. Yes. Meaning, what what I what I understood from that mm -hmm. was that you would you would rather. Mm. We adopted mm. the attitude of, I respect your opinion, and I want you to live your life in whatever way you want, yes. and I will live mine in mm. whatever, whatever way I want. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Is, that, is that close enough? Yeah, it's close enough. Okay. I guess you can, yeah. Okay. yeah. I... I fail to see. Yeah. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, truly where it's going. That was too obvious. Yeah. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, given how intertwined our societies are today, yeah. given how intertwined we are, mm. I fail to see how we can be, how we can be that indifferent. Yeah, no, no, I, I agree with you completely okay. here, okay. right? Okay, like, um, so tell me what I've misunderstood, because it seems like I've, I've misunderstood. Well, I don't think it's something. necessarily that you've misunderstood it, I just think I probably haven't communicated it that well here, okay, to be okay. honest, okay. right? Um, let's, let's just um, unpack it. Okay, so like I was saying before, you've got these, the vertical structures, where there's always going to be someone that's devalued, or something that's devalued over and against something else. It's right. important not to, I think, talk about it in super abstract terms of values, like, the way in which we value things shines through into the kind of subjectivities and the identities we have as people, and then therefore who has a voice within society, who's valued within society, all right? So there is always a lived practicality to the way that we structure these values, okay? And so, like I'm saying, there's always going to be, if we structure the values that maybe white Australia's had, the things that Western Australia or white Australia's had, then the indigenous population is always going to suffer from that, and history tells us that, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's something that we could say that that is a, maybe an example of vertical yep. value structures, yep. right? Horizontal value structures, in a sense, would say, look, we have different values here. We're not going to say that one is better than the other, right? Mm -hmm. They're different. They come from different experiences. The danger here is, and like I'm going to be completely honest with you, I don't have a fully fleshed out idea of exactly how this is going to work, okay. but I'm going to try and say this is kind of where I think it's mm -hmm. going because I see the dangers in what you're talking about in the sense that if we just let everything go, then it's not really going to work, mm -hmm. which is not what I'm going to argue mm -hmm. for, right? Or what I think is the path that we should go down. The other danger in a sense of emphasizing difference to the point of respecting it absolutely is that we can start to sort of exoticize the other and start to say, well, they're not really my business either. Like, they're just going to do their own thing. They both have the same sort of ramifications where we get more divided, right? And there's no real working together because we just go, oh, we have a disagreement, so therefore we can't talk to each other because we're not going to figure out we're too far apart. I don't think it needs to be black and white in the sense that if that solution that I've just told you about there is like on this end of the spectrum of difference mm -hmm. and then the solution that we were talking about before where it's like hot, vertical is kind of like a sameness mm -hmm. such that we have this value structure that is predicated off a neutral subject or a universal value that all of the other ones are measured across such that if you don't fit in that, then you're other and you're less, mm -hmm. right? 
that can stand for sameness and difference. I don't think it needs to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. I think you can have a middle path in the sense that we don't need to respect absolutely everything that everyone says without criticizing it and trying to work together, right? Because I think this is where this sameness and difference can kind of collide to where we should try and aim to work towards it, mm -hmm. in the sense that we recognize we definitely have some commonalities, mm -hmm. right? We all live together in the same place. We all want to work out. We don't want to live shit. Mm -hmm. We all want to get along in a certain sense. Or we'll not get along, but we all want to live our lives the best that we want. Mm -hmm. We all want to flourish within our, within our time here on Earth, mm -hmm. right? So there is a commonality there, and there's other commonalities that we can speak of, but we've also got to recognize that people are different at the same time, yeah? But we've all got to live in this same place. And so it's in our best interests to sort of work together. And involved in that working together is a recognition that we do need to work together, we are the same, mm -hmm. and yet we can't really absorb or denigrate another's experience mm -hmm. or say we should measure you by our yardstick mm -hmm. because we've seen where that goes. Mm -hmm. And in a sense, because we all are in this same place, we're trying to figure out the same problems, denigrating someone else means the denigration of you as well, right? So the denigration of the other is the denigration of the self because we're all involved in the same place and trying to figure it out at the same time. It's in a sense, if you're weaker, I'm weaker. This sort of an idea, okay? Mm -hmm. And so it's to respect the difference of the other, which would be the horizontality. It doesn't really shine across in this text, but I want to say that you need to have a horizontality and a verticality at the same time, okay? You need to have both, Very which good. is trying to what I'm trying to explain to you right Very now. Good. You Very can't good. have... Mm -hmm. one or the other, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, if you have one or the other, it's the same thing, again, as this dualistic thinking that we were talking about before in the subject-object dualism, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay? You can't have just one or the other. It's not, it's not the case. It's okay. sort of like a middle way, I okay. guess you could say. Okay. That's sort of where I'm striving to, but I don't think that really comes across in this text here. But, but again, that's probably my laziness because mm. it would have come across probably in your, in your um, mm. more, ex more expansive text, which I didn't read. Um, but let me, let me, to nail this, to the ground. Mm. Let me ask you a very um, explicit question. Mm. The framework that you're working towards, mm -hmm. does it leave room for judgment? Mm. In the sense that, like, what do you mean by judgment? In the sense that I can say that you're wrong. Does it allow a framework yeah. for, for a substantive, you know, struggle that is aimed at mm. deriving the better and the worse. Like, there, there has to okay. be... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, so you're, you're saying, like, that is there room... With okay, this is, that is my problem with yeah. horizontality. Yeah, 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 yeah. That there's no room to judge. That, there's no, that there is no incentive for mm. moving upwards. There's no, there, there's no reason for the individual mm. to to move from A to B, because in order, for, in order for the effort to be incentivized, you need to, you need to have, a, you need to have a conception of what betterment means and mm. start, start to plan your way that way. And then, mm. and, and the reason you do that is because you think you're making your circum circumstances better because you think living that way is better than living this way. Mm -hmm. This is, this is my fear of, Mm. of getting rid of the, the, um, the, mm. ver the verticality of the hierarchy. So when at the end of your thesis you, 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 you come up with the, with the horizontal tr transcendent, mm. how, do I, how do I understand that? Let me, if, um, 
explicit about it. It's not to say if because this idea of pure on pure horizontality is not something that I would want to necessarily be mm-hmm. advocating for. Mm-hmm. It comes across in this text as that mm-hmm. purely because I'm trying to oppose it to uh-huh. what I've read as the hitherto typically verticality okay. within Western okay. philosophy, okay. right? So okay. there's a juxtaposition there in this text purely on, mm-hmm. like I guess you could say a strategic front, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Whereas it needs to be, like I said before, a horizontality and a verticality, mm-hmm. which is not to say that there are not things which are not better than others, and there are things that are worse than others as well, right? Mm-hmm. That's just going to be the case, I think, right? But the hitherto problem has been is that we've only understood better and worse along the one yardstick. Mm-hmm. It's to say that there can be other yardsticks upon which people can value what is better or worse okay. without saying that your yardstick is better than my yardstick mm-hmm. or my yardstick is better than your yardstick. Mm-hmm. And then we have reason for criticism and oppression mm-hmm. through those means. Mm-hmm. 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 Very good. Does that in a sense help? I don't know. Like, does that... I yeah. think... I th- um, I'm... Because please tell me, because I'm learning from this as well, right? Like, this is helping me try oh, to get it, go... It, yeah. It's, this is wonderful. Mm. The... Uh, I think... Okay, so, so uh, wh- what, I'm, what I'm thinking right now is that there has to be a conversation 2.0 mm. because uh, maybe towards the end of your thesis, mm. this will be more fleshed out. Mm. But what I'm... What I'm uh, I guess what I'm missing right now mm. is the is the re- re- reconciliation mm. between the tendency to stick to the to the horizontal mm. and understanding the need mm. for moving towards the the vertical because okay because 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 I can't help but I can't help but be um I can't help but be motivated mm. towards stagnation if I look at values and lifestyles uh, okay. and yeah. you know and 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 um, different ways of living in in a in a horizontal manner. Mm. It's uh, I, ju- I just cannot divorce myself. Do from you that. mean like in a sense that I'm? Are you trying to understand values as something you should strive towards? Like as a goal in a certain sense. Like I'm not saying, yes. not saying you're at this point of your life and you want to achieve this goal. Mm-hmm. Say, I don't know, like you want to be a, I don't know, a firewoman, a fireman. Mm-hmm. That's like mm-hmm. something you want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a goal that you want to strive towards. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying don't go strive towards that because that's just as good as being something else. Mm-hmm. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's more not values in the sense of goals or mm-hmm. teleological values. Mm-hmm. It's more values in the sense of the way that we understand other people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what we value within mm-hmm. a culture. There's a kind of a distinction here between things that you as an individual will want from your life mm-hmm. and then the things that you would want as an individual that you value in your life being valuable in and of themselves, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And the kind of life that you would want to live being valuable in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Do you understand the difference between what I'm trying to say here? I, I think I do now. That yes. first difference where you're saying, I want to strive and do things and I don't want to be prone to stagnation, you know, go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. Within, I want to say within parameters, it's not a free-for-all. You know, there mm-hmm. are things that I think when you were saying judgment before, mm-hmm. I think we need to be able to say to someone, look, that's not the best thing to value. Mm-hmm. That's not how you should be. These are things kind of really violent things, really harmful things, I mm-hmm. think we should be able to say, or things that are leading to... 
mass oppression or oppression that it is, mm -hmm. I think we need to be able to say, look, we should maybe think about this mm -hmm. and criticise this. Mm -hmm. That's what I think we should be working towards. Mm -hmm. But it's not in a sense just stagnate and nothing is mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. What you value in your life mm -hmm. as an individual and what you want to strive towards mm -hmm. is something that you should still be able to do. Mm -hmm. But other people shouldn't be able to come in and say the person that you want to be, you shouldn't be allowed to do that mm -hmm. because I don't value that and therefore you're less than me and therefore I have reason to oppress you, mm -hmm. whether it's because of your identity, your goals and so on and so right. forth. Okay. Tell me about eminence mm. and how you put it in opposition to transcendence. Okay. So this, this idea of vertical transcendence that I've talked about here, which is associated with these vertical hierarchies would be understanding I guess you could maybe put it in the sense you, I mean you can like understand in terms of divinity um, or spirituality or meaning where meaning is derived from in the world right mm -hmm. typically meaning has been given to the world from outside the world in the way that the structures of thought have been um, put together. Um, so Plato, for example, has the good, which is not part of this world. And you've got Plato's cave where the prisoners have to kind of climb out of, the, of their shadow, ca shadowy cave up into the sunlight and they can see the good and therefore, you know, they're enlightened and so on and so forth. Um, you can probably understand it in terms of as well, I think I put in here like um, heaven or God sitting outside of the world that we live in right now. Yep. Okay. It's kind of associated with this idea that I said before is there is no way that we can rationally understand, or not rational, I don't know if rationally is the right word, but there is no way that we can really get a grip on what God is or the good is, right? There's no way that we can definitively say this is exactly what it is, it has these properties, and we know exactly what it is, you know? Because it wouldn't then be divine, right? It wouldn't be absolute in exactly. the sense that we could explain it in the same way that we'd explain chairs and tables. They have exactly. properties and we would explain these things in that way. So they don't become divine or absolute in that mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. So they need to be separate mm -hmm. in these structures. Mm -hmm. and because we can't say anything definitive about them, we kind of, in a sense, project onto, the, onto them the qualities that they think, that we think that they have. Mm -hmm. Typically, if we have a majority in society or a powerful group, they would project the quality, the light qualities onto this divinity or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. So they kind of, in a sense, get to determine what the most valuable thing is and how that gives, in reflection, mm -hmm. value to the world. Mm -hmm. This would be sort of a transcendent or a vertically transcendent relationship. Mm -hmm. So value is, comes into the world from outside of the world, but in a sense, that value that comes into the world from outside of the world is projected onto that value to start with, right, okay, right. all right? This leads, like I said, towards you can have the neutral or the universal subject mm -hmm. as working towards God, that's what's valued over against minorities. It also leads to, in a sense, a separation of us from the world, right? Like, why would we want to care about, on like an environmental level, why would we want to care about the world that we live in right now if it's not as valuable as going to this other intelligible world or this divine world where that's where real value is. Mm -hmm. What's the point in us sticking around here and cultivating and looking after the earth right now, okay? And I think we all understand the issues associated with that sort of a thinking nowadays. Mm. Nietzsche's greatest criticism of 
of Christianity. Yes, yes, things like this. So imminence, in a certain sense, is to say that we don't need that. Life itself is valuable. Mm -hmm. That is it. We can value each other. We can value the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. That is where we find value because this value that we find from the vertically transcendent is sort of projected onto it, right? And it's sort of fabricated in that sense. But the real value that we find in the world is just by living in it, right? And it's kind of by eating food, by talking to strangers, by meeting other people, by having a good time, enjoying ourselves and looking after each other. That is where real value is to be found. That is kind of the idea of imminence. That is sort of what it is. And that's associated with this idea of horizontal transcendence without sort of leading to the issues that you were trying to point to before, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the general direction I guess I'm trying to go in. I think, I think the word transcendence here, yeah. in this context, yeah. uh, is being used a little bit more metaphorically mm. than... Yes, yeah, I mean you could even, you could kind of understand it like a transcendence, a vertical transcendence. Mm -hmm. does, that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like it's kind of a moving beyond this mm -hmm. idea that we've tripped typically had of transcendence. Yes. That would be the idea. Yes. Right. So in a sense, like I said before, it's kind of strategic, I guess, the way that it works. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I um, understand it now. Mm. Very good. Mitch, I think it's a great place to stop. Mm. Agreed? Mm. Mm. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate it.